Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim, and this week is uh, we recorded an intro for this already, and then um, I, I looked back and I realized that this is the hundredth episode of the Muslim Vibe podcast. Um, that wasn't a sound effect. I do have uh, a co-host for this podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, Nora, Nora is joining me. Nora is our social media manager. Um, started started working like the week before lockdown started working at the start of coronavirus at the start of coronavirus came all the way from america um to a very strange landscape in the uk it's been it's been interesting yeah for sure um so yeah before we we, we come but on, how does it feel for you Sadim? this is your hundredth episode i know this is what i was gonna say like we should take a moment um it's 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 kind of crazy like what we started this the podcast like three or so years ago um and it started off quite basic if you listen back to like the first few episodes it was just us in the office chatting about current affairs and what's going on in the world um and then slowly we started getting guests on and talking about wider issues um and we've had like so many random amazing people on this podcast do you have any favorites any favorite episodes favorite ep- <sighs> that's a tough one um or one that like really sticks out to you from so that you've so done. the recent podcast with ibn ali miller um mm. for me was a was a highlight um the podcast that we did with uh artif nawaz and ali official mm-hmm. about the show muslimics i just for me i i really enjoyed that conversation the two guys were really great company as well um uh, we've had a couple of MPs on the podcast as well, members of parliament in the UK. Um, feel free to listen back. Um, it's, I, I, I've liked, I mean, the, every po- for me, every podcast episode that we've done has like brought something very unique and, and educated myself mm-hmm. um, on like an entirely different perspective. And, and that's what I love about doing the podcast generally. It's just I get to have these amazing conversations with, with really interesting individuals and, and I learned so much yeah um, and it's it's been fun like I, I think it's um, I hope people have enjoyed it I mean I, I can obviously see the number of listeners generally and, and, and alhamdulillah that's been growing constantly and we have like a a decent size kind of um, following now yeah and and it's it's good because I feel like you know being able to being able to facilitate a space for these kind of conversations is really important it's part of why we wanted to start the Muslim vibe. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And you guys talk about some controversial things. Really? In the podcast, yeah. Really? I'm not gonna name any, but there have been some <laughs> some controversial ones. I I I didn't I I I think it it is what it is really. Um, I to be honest, I I almost feel like we're taking away from this particular podcast oh, because yeah. uh, this podcast in itself is for me like one of the most exciting episodes that we've done um bit of background so you'll have seen from the the title that we're talking about uh the late great muhammad ali um and we're talking about him to his daughter with his daughter Mm -hmm. um hannah Hannah. and and that that in itself is is a bit surreal like everyone that i've mentioned that i'm i'm everyone that i've mentioned to that i'm interviewing hannah about her father was just like wow like this is this is this is crazy um so this is also why you joined us on the podcast yes this is my first ever podcast and 
I don't think any other one can top this. <laughs> Probably so not. I've set the standards pretty high after this. Um, so Hannah got in touch with us a couple of weeks ago um, with an audio recording of her father um, reciting Surah Fatiha in English mm-hmm. from like the 1970s, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and and she wanted to share that out, so we put out put that out on video. And then I, I took the opportunity to also ask her if she'd be down to to do a podcast and have a chat. Um, and it just so happens that she's just completed writing a book um, entitled At Home with Muhammad Ali. And in that, um, she gives a very personal and intimate account of her father and of her life growing up with him. Mm-hmm. And she kind of tells multiple stories within that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's all based off of recordings that her father left her, over 90 hours of recordings. Yeah. Um, and, and it's... I, I really and it's it. just it's just it's not just like it's recordings of him just like living his daily life basically being a dad yeah and, being a dad yeah, and just yeah. being him and that's what's so nice about it is that she she quotes them word for word and you got and like you said you read it in his voice and it's just it's it's an experience and it's a journey to to read that book and it was it was great as well to be able to get some some insights and hear some stories that I had never heard before about Muhammad Ali and I'm sure yeah. there's there's dozens more. But what's interesting is that she made the point that even though she's said so much about him and there's so much more to be said, mm-hmm. it all kind of comes back to and reflects everything that we've already seen. Um, and I'm not going to kind of, I guess, uh, spoil it in terms of the interview that we have, but there are there are certain attributes of his that, that just come out in everything that he does yeah. and everything that he said. Um, and it was really nice to be able to have that conversation. And she she generously shares her father with the world i think and that's for me that's insane like having his daughter share him on this level and even on the podcast she says some things that are personal and things like that so it's nice to have that that connection with with muhammad ali Mm. yeah um yeah and i think that's probably uh as much of an intro as we can give it before we get underway um especially for our long time uh listeners Considering this is our 100th episode, uh, if you haven't already, please do consider subscribing. Subscribing? Yeah, well, obviously subscribing to the podcast, <laughs> but also supporting us. Support the TMV uh, podcast. Support the TMV podcast, support TMV generally. Um, the link will be in the description. Uh, it would be great if we can get people on just £10 a month to be able to help us continue to do this. Um, we want to grow the team. We have ambitions. I talk about this every time, but I'm hoping the fact this is the 100th episode and it's a fantastic episode as well that you guys will really consider uh, digging deep and, and helping to support um, the work that we do. Mm-hmm. That's it. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Hannah Ali talking about her late great father, Muhammad Ali. So, Salaam Alaikum, Hannah. Alaikum Salaam. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. This is uh, kind of a little bit surreal um, for myself, and I think it would be for, for most people, um, just because of of what your your father, I think, means to to everyone. Um, so, thank you again for for joining us. It, it, it's a real pleasure, and, and for getting in touch with us. So, I guess for a bit of background context. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of leads into talking about um, your book and everything else. But you shared um, an audio clip with us of your father um, reciting um, Surah Al-Fatiha um, in English in from like 1970-something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact year. 79. Um, 79. And, and these were tapes that you 
had and your dad gave to you um i guess years ago um and that you kind of are now sharing out and 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 your book as well you you share tapes of your father and and you mentioned i think that there's over 90 hours of recordings that he kind of left you in his lifetime um the the first thing i wanted to just comment on and say is that even even reading the first clip i'm not going to try and do uh, an american accent um but your father <laughs> says this is this is this is muhammad ali at 55 fremont place january the 5th 1980 the time is 11 a.m in los angeles i'm chasing hannah and layla when i when i read that i i could actually hear it in his voice it's the strangest thing it sounded like i'd already heard the audio recording right just reading the script um, and I think he had such a kind of unique and distinct voice. But the first question, I could keep talking. I don't actually need you to, to say anything <laughs> back. But I think it, it's probably best, probably best that I do bring you in. Um, so the first question, I guess, is, is that, you know, to some, your father was the greatest boxer who ever lived. Um, to others, you know, one of the most charismatic men and, and I guess activists as well um, in, in recent history. But I guess the, the question to you is, how do you remember your father? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. And um, I have to say that, you know, my father lived his life like an open book. And what you saw in the world is, I would say, 99% of who he was at home. The only difference is he was a little more calm. He was a homebody. He loved to be at home. He loved having company. I'm talking about just random people. He would just we would drive down the streets and, and I mean, there could be a homeless man walking and he would put him in the back of our car, ask if he needed a ride. I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> we were going to eat at the time on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. His favorite restaurants were Carnation and Bob's Big Boy. They were just so close. He liked diners. And um, he would just eat with people, talk with people. Uh, even in the later years, my father would with the Parkinson's and we were going out to eat. He loved interacting he would go and stand and walk around each table and just pass out his autograph before people would even ask for it but the key <laughs> is he passed them out on islamic pamphlets introduction to islam what is islam is jesus really god anything he could to help spread the word of islam and he knew that people he would say to me the people if i sign this and put my autograph on it they'll they'll, they'll keep it and one day they'll pick it up and they'll read about it and um, so he dedicated his life to that. So what I remember about my father, I think more than anything, and it will never leave me, is just his humanity. I think it was his greatest gift to the world. He loved people, genuinely loved people. He loved being Muhammad Ali. He loved giving himself his time. He used to joke and say to me, I'm not your daddy, Hannah, just your father. I'm also the daddy of the world. People look up to me and I have, it's my job to lead them right and to do right and to continue to be a role model for these people. So he really believed in his life's purpose from God and he believed so strongly in Allah and God and, uh, and his mission here. And he believed that God was his bodyguard. It's, what he, it's why he had, I think, so much courage to walk around the streets so openly, no, no literal bodyguards. I mean, the bodyguards he had didn't really actually guard him. There was no barrier between my father and the people in the streets. You could walk up to him and touch him and he would hug and love you right back anywhere he went. There's countless videos on YouTube where you'll see him walking in Miami Beach or wherever and the people are honking the, car, the horns at him and he's giving them the victory fist and they're walking up to him and walking with him and he's hugging him and signing autographs. He just loved being accessible and he loved touching mm -hmm. people and inspiring them and he made his life's mission to spread the truth about his religion which he felt saved him in the world and gave him purpose that he loved we, so we, dearly. We, mm -hmm. 
we were just discussing this uh salam hala. this is nora uh co-host for this podcast really happy to have you on um but Thank we were you. just discussing this right before the podcast i was telling Salim is that that muhammad ali seemed like a person who loved who yeah. loved being loved basically and um there's there's a, a lot of moments in your book where you talk about how how he is at home he's so playful with with everyone within the household playful with you and and your sister and your other siblings as well and he also he also used that playfulness to to kind of project his views his worldly views when it came to the media as well um yes it, it's interesting that the, the quote mm-hmm. So I was just about to say that the quote that you just said, um, we, we actually wrote that one down from your book where you say, Hannah, where he says, Hannah, I'm your daddy, but I'm also Muhammad Ali, the champion of the world. People look up to right. me, I inspire them. So I have, I, I have to go to Deer Lake right. and he's talking about training for a fight. But right. I, I think like on a, on a personal level for yourself, that must have been quite difficult as a child to have to share your, your father with people, no? Well, yeah, when I was five, you know, and I didn't understand it, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> my father always sat us down and talked about the important deep things in the world. I mean, even when we were too young to understand it. I mean, he would sit us down and talk about how we had an angel on our left and our shoulder and one on our right shoulder and one's taking all the good deeds and one's taking all the bad deeds. And when we died and went to heaven, <laughs> God's going to play it back to us like a movie, our life. So you better do good. He would talk about how sleep was the cousin of death and, you know, and this life could be over any time. And one day he was going to die. And one day my mom was going to die and we're all going to die. And what matters is what we do in, in the moments that we're given on this earth. And I mean, we were too young at the time to appreciate and understand if anything, it instilled fear. And I, I wouldn't sleep for a long time. I remember, <laughs> but he was trying to teach us and educate us and t- teach us about how we, you know, you come into the world and you learn more than anything else through watching how your parents interact with people, how they live their lives, all of that. We're learning, you know, subconsciously. Mm. And my father wanted us to, be charitable give to charity to be humble to know that no matter how he would say that the world's going to treat us better because our father is muhammad ali and we might have an easier life we don't have to work as hard for money all of these things but you have to remember that you're no better than anybody else nothing makes you greater than another person except for your heart how good your heart is how much you give to charity how much you give back and do good for god and that that should be the purpose of your life on top of whatever other purpose you should find in life and to always be humble. And he worked at that, you know, because people were always at his feet, wanting to serve him. And and he wanted to be humble and he practiced and worked at being humble the same way someone might actually go and learn to become a doctor or a lawyer in school. You know, so he was constantly reading about spiritual things, constantly trying to share the truth about a religion that's so misunderstood that is so much of who he was that people love. So it's just so ironic and interesting that things that people that are non-Muslim respect and love about my father are things he came to the earth with, his spirit that were God-given, but at the same time that he loved and practiced about his religion. You know, so yeah. so, so it, it broke his heart. I think, so- I think that for like for me as, as a Muslim, I, I recognize that about him and that's the personality I see when I think about Muhammad Ali is that, you know, he, he used Islam and he he tried to use it in a way that kind of resonated with people and with people who didn't truly understand what islam was at the time and it was a scary thing but do you feel like in this book that that you've written that you've shared more of your father than what was 
already known about him or, or already felt yes, about him? From definitely. Yeah. Because most books about my father talk and focus on the boxing. And I even get some, I, I always like to go read the Goodreads reviews and reply to people. Yeah, and I get a lot yeah. of comments sometimes that the people let them know, oh, this is book. Either it's, oh, this takes you into, I felt like I was in the house with him. I felt like I learned more about him. Or I don't really, I'm not really, you know, this is not teaching you about the boxing. And, you know, it's a memoir to teach people, uh, I think, to, to share because I, you know, that my he's father. He's more than a boxer. Yeah, he's more not just than that. The guy but, in the ring. But yeah. to really give something to the legacy that's left to show you the human mm. being of who he really was at home, around the house, and every day. Because I took for granted that the world knows this because he's so world famous and loved, but they don't because the questions they ask me. You know, I get more, more than anything else, I was, would always get, how was he at home? What kind of dad was he? And we take for granted yeah. sometimes because we live it and we see it. And I assume that all these people that I always see praising and loving him knew really knew everything about him but really what they're seeing is the stands he took in history how great of a boxer he was that he seemed to be a generous and nice guy down to earth and he's funny but i said let me show them you know as much as i can provide that show him my father through our eyes as a family that which you did very nicely by the way i've I've, i started reading a couple days ago and like a small thing is like talking about how he was an extremely patient person but he wasn't great at being patient when waiting for his food or things like that which I found like so so funny and so sweet he's hilarious he was daddy was funny because you could see the antiness in him and what's so funny too is that he didn't have any pretenses in the sense where you know you arrive someplace and have to enter the room to get he loved to arrive everywhere early and I'm not kidding you when I said he was waiting for his fans to waiting eager to meet his fans before they even you know arrived at the house (laughs) <laughs> my father was so funny i i was he, literally telling ahmed i was like you read it and you just you fall in love with him more like the 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 recording of when he's calling people randomly in christmas and yes. just you know just wishing them so, merry so, christmas so I, I guess for people that don't know that story your, your father used to call random phone numbers at christmas to wish people merry christmas from muhammad Ali. right not even just christmas like he would sometimes just dial a random number number in his head five five six two seven seven one whatever and say like, how you doing how's life going you know, he loved to shock and amaze people. He loved did, to Did anyone people. did anyone ever say, sorry, I don't know who you are? Uh, no, are you kidding me? They hung up on him a lot. I, yeah. that's the thing. So oh, I had really? to call yeah, back. Really and I would call back. This is even later in life when it was harder for him to speak. Any fan that would leave their number, he always called it. If he received fan mail, we spent so hours going through fan mail. And it was hard for him to speak and them to understand him. So he get hung up on a lot. So I would say, hi, this is Hannah Ali. My father and I just opened your letter. My dad wanted to call because you left your number. So I just wanted to, you know, translate a little if you don't understand what he's saying clearly all over the phone. So you didn't think it was a crank call. Wow. You know, so <laughs> my father, I'm not kidding. What kind of responses would you get to that? Oh, my God, Muhammad Ali's on the phone. Or are you kidding me? Is this a joke? Or Sarah, is this yeah. you pranking me again? You know, or it was just <laughs> random so stuff. Funny. And some people would be just as down to earth as him. But hey, what's up? Let me talk to Muhammad, you know, so you would think they were friends. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but my dad, my dad just, he really just, he thought that there was no way that he could have a gift this huge to get all the love and adulation he would receive from people to know that one smile, one hello, one return call, one handshake, giving someone 100% of eye contact, any little bit that he could give back. And he knew what that could do for their spirit in life. So he took a tremendous, he knew he, he had a tremendous responsibility. He used to say there's responsibilities that come with fame. You can't just get all these blessings and have this power, this, this influence that you can help so many people and not use it for good. 
And he took it to the every, I mean, I mean, to the point to where he would be tired, even when he couldn't walk or talk as easily, he'd still pull over and he would just then take hours. He would spend hours at home pre-signing his Islamic pamphlets to hand out because he knew that he couldn't sign quick enough to get everyone in the crowd. So, I mean, at home, wow. he was watching video, you know, old, old videos on himself because I used to joke he's his biggest fan. He loved watching himself, especially, I think, later in life because you look back and see how fast and quick he was. And he would say, look, that's how great God is. Now all that's gone. The speed is gone. It's hard to talk. Mm -hmm. You know, it's wow. all part of life. And it made him, I think, more loved, more human. And he never questioned. He never said, why me? I'm not kidding you. When my, I say he never complained. He never even, and no one has even heard my father say I have a headache. And, and I'm trying to explain just how big that is because he never complained about anything. He passed kidney stones without complaining. It's like not even saying ouch or making a face. I'm not kidding you. So it's like daddy just had this and amazing if, if anyone, tolerance. If anyone deserved to complain, it would be him, especially with the things that, that well, he's done. Yeah, he, he knew that it was all part of God's plan for his purpose on this earth. He wouldn't be as great as respected or loved if he didn't go through the hell he did with the war and not going to the Vietnam and, and taking that yeah. stance. So he knew that, you know, he knew that it was all part of what made him who he is. So he had the knowledge spiritually to understand that. And um, he just came to the earth that way. You know, when people have a purpose that big, the, the, you know, dad used to always say that Allah wouldn't put anything, a burden on any man that he couldn't handle, uh, you know, so. I was going to say that like we, we've, so, so our office right now is quite hot and there's no air conditioning and Nora has been complaining all day about the heat. <laughs> so I, I, I think the, the response to her basically is think of Muhammad Ali. He didn't complain. Muhammad Ali don't wear a hijab. <laughs> <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't know the struggle. <laughs> no. Uh, what, 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 I, what I did want to ask you though is, is like I mentioned uh, your father's charisma. Um, uh -huh. and, and for me personally growing up, there was something so magnetic, like his, his, you know, his various interviews with Parkinson. Um, and and my, my dad actually, I, I told my dad that I was going to be speaking to you. And he was like, make sure you tell her that, you know, I, you know, we used to love watching uh, her dad grow up when we were growing up and like his interviews that he was doing on TV with, uh, was it Richard Park? I can't remember the guy's name. Um, Parkinson, the, the, the British. Yeah. looking at me. Blank. Those are our favorite. But, you yes. know, yeah. So, so those interviews, my dad was telling me that he would basically like his whole family would get or like my family would all come around together. And, and that was like the highlight. And he did a couple of those. And it's. There was something, and even watching them back now, like you can enjoy every second of it because he just had like charisma oozing out of him. Um, oh, and, and oh my God, I think yes, yes. <laughs> that's what was kind of magnetic for, for so many people. But I, I, and I think people have taken so many different things from him, either, you know, with the activism you talked about just now about the whole anti-war stance that he took, um, be it his determination and his speed and his, his uh, self-confidence. But what would you say is for yourself the like the biggest thing that you've gained from your father, living with him, seeing him up close and personal? I think like what what has been your big takeaway? Humanity, just how to be a decent human being and to care about people, the smallest little things. I mean, you don't know what people are dealing with. That's the greatest lesson. There's nothing better than that. Just to have a good, open heart, to be down to earth and humble, and his spiritual faith more than anything else it's that the heart and his faith so i get through life and i do you know i i, I don't stay mad at people i forgive easy i you know if they're mm. sorry you forget i even forgive when they're not you know people are human beings we're all here trying to learn um one of the beautiful things about my father 
is like you said, not just his charisma, but that made it possible for him to talk about these topics, religion, whatever else, and do it in a way where he didn't get offended by people. He would stand up, express, and he could do it in a colorful way. And if the conversation got too serious or someone was feeling funny, he knew he had a great sense of humor. He knew how to make a joke and just make it calm and, and just bring yeah. it back to a pleasant pace and still get these important details and messages out. And it also made it more receptive from people. You know, God knew what yeah, he was doing when he created him, you know, so it's like, he, yeah, even he, even in that video, there's like a viral video of him, that clip of when he talks about how everything is white and like how everything that's black right. is bad, basically. But right, he does right. it with humor. The whole audience is laughing. But what, right, what because, he's saying is right. really serious and really like, well, right, really exactly. messed up. But Exactly. So he knew how to deliver a message in, in the right way. And not only that, people that don't live it would not know or think about it because they're subtle but profound messages. And when you have someone bring it to your attention, it's like an aha moment, a light bulb goes on like, oh my God, that's true. You know? Yeah. So um, there's so much more that you'll never understand. Just what black males go through, not even black women go through it is bad. Mm -hmm. I have a dark skinned husband who has this like fighter look. So, I mean, he's harassed where he's just trying to come home to, because we live in a predominantly white area. You know, he's pulled over. Oh, can I see your ID? Where are you going, sir? No good reason. No light, taillights mm -hmm. out. Nothing's wrong with the, you know, the license plate. So, you know, I didn't even understand and see how much that they go through it until I was with a dark-skinned black man, bald-headed, dark-skinned black man, you know, and get married him. Mm -hmm. And we start, you know, so, I mean, it's it's serious. So I think that, um, but my dad, it was in a time when it was much worse. You know, you were just getting hung from trees, walking home at night. You're getting, your houses are getting bombed. You're getting harassed, messed with. You know, when he was five or four years old trying to go home with his mother, they wouldn't even let him in to get a drink of water. I mean, it was 10 times worse. You see, people just have no idea that are not black. And so, they, yeah, I, I think I think it's, it's probably a good time to to talk about, I guess, contemporary issues a little bit, because um, you're talking about um, a lot of the stances that your father took um back in the day and a lot of them were very kind of controversial and political mm -hmm. um and and the experience that you discussed or you, you expressed just now with your own husband being stopped by police and pulled over just for being in a white neighborhood mm -hmm. um I, I i think a lot of people are, are, are looking back and even nowadays people are quoting malcolm x very frequently because of everything that's happening with the black lives matter mm -hmm. movement mm -hmm. um and 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 we like to always think back to to the greats like your father mm -hmm. and and wonder what his stance would be on a movement like the black lives matter movement well see my father knew just like people that live like i said today that these things have not changed so first it you know we slavery slaves were freed but then it took some time before they knew they were free then they replaced slavery with jim crow and then Jim Crow, and then you have you have the KKK, and now the KKK, you know, you know, it, it, things that were being, I mean, people were committing murders and atrocities to black females, kids, males, all the time in broad daylight with witnesses and getting let off, you know. And now they have police badges; they always have. So they continue the injustice. My father would be for any movement. He would definitely support Black Lives matter movement you have so many people that are uneducated or ignorant thinking that black lives matter means that other lives don't when it has nothing to do with that their issue is really black lives matter also or black lives matter too which is an invisible too an invisible also because black lives are the ones that have been disrespected anyone of color you know from yeah. the history of white america and the and the and, and the systemic racism has been in, been in place for for a long time you know think about it all the black panthers that were taking up arms just to defend themselves not to cause any yeah. havoc, were considered 
communist or, or uh, you know, threat to, to a threat to the United States. But what about the KKK to this day? You know, they're openly hateful and they're the, the, the ones that are causing infliction of, on innocent people, hatred. And they're what? Just, oh, it's okay for them to congregate. It's okay for them to express this hate. Never, mm. you know, it, it's really sad, but that's just another, just an example of the systemic racism. They're not a threat to white America. They're a threat to the darker people who they already don't have respect for our lives anyway. So my father would definitely support the movement. He would be the Muhammad Ali of old if he could talk and was alive now. And just speaking up for black pride, black issues and issues for all people around the world mm. who are mistreated, Muslims that are mistreated because of their religion, black people, Hispanics, Indians, whoever, any any movement that supported nonviolently and in a positive way, uh, try to bring about some positive change my father would support, especially for his own people. The only thing I would say is this, it, you know, even when you talk about, get into the rioting and things like that, I think, I think my father would even say to that, of course, it's not good to steal, plummet, but you have to understand why people get to that that point the ones that are just frustrated you're not listening to the colin kaepernick's who are peacefully kneeling you're taking away his livelihood and his job for taking a stance peacefully you know yeah. you don't listen change doesn't come about until they get, get scared and they start realizing stop doing it to our own neighborhoods we're going to come to the beverly hills area where the white people live where the people that are that are a part of the problem are and that's when the change happens oh we can't have them coming over here you know so sadly i see why they feel they need to resort to that aside from the people you know that are taking advantage of just out there just stealing things i can yeah. see i don't condone or think that's the way to go but i understand why it gets to that. You roar. You scream. You, you're, you're so angry. You can't, you know, you can't get these lives back that are taken. It's like enough I, is enough. I feel like it's, it, it's also, it's also quite bizarre, right. or, or just quite bewildering, I guess, that despite the fact that it's been in some cases thirty years, forty years since your, your father's done certain interviews, those same audio clips are being used today to prove the point of what's happening in society. Do you right. know what I mean? Like a, a, yes. a lot of the same ills of society still exist. Right. And the fact that a lot of his messages are still kind of relevant today just shows how how little we've progressed. Well, you know why? Because it's going to take, my father used to always say, it has to start with the children. The minds of adults are already been poisoned. They're already conditioned to think they're better, greater. Uh, you know, you're born into a world, like he said, where Jesus Christ was painted with blue eyes and blonde hair. So you already think that you look like God subconsciously mm. you know what i mean so you know obviously as you know in islam you don't have pictures and portraits of angels and whatnot in christianity they want to give them a race and they of course they made them all white with blonde hair and blue eyes the furthest away from any person of color you know so mm. <laughs> um but i think that so you're taught it subconsciously already in school you're from a kid for ch ch as children they see the world they see that they have they have privilege and that they, they're taught to think that they're better than yeah. so i think that my father knew that Malcolm X knew that and that's what they were trying to show and teach because why would people in white America ever try to learn this, think this, they teach the history incorrectly. So you, in that, that it's probably difficult to look at your ancestors and have that shame that has to come about when you see what they've done to all people of color all over the world. So I think that um, what's important is that now, because 
this is such a loud roar. The, the earth is shaking. They're shaking. It's being shook up. My father would say they're shaking up the world is how he would put it. I shook up the world. Yeah. And they're saying, shaking right? up the world with this writing and everything else they're doing to make you listen. You have to pay attention. Yeah. You have to now look at what's going on and change is coming for all people. So I think that are that are on the downside of advantage or mistreated whether you're tan, yellow, brown, whatever, you know, so we're just the face of the movement because we've had it the worst and it's been mm. overlooked for so long. So now all of these old videos of people that were trying to teach and tell you and spread in a time when they still didn't respect and have the, you know, my father was doing this at a time when he couldn't even eat in certain restaurants still. So these laws have changed, but the way that people believe and think and treat you in, in or fear you have not changed. So yeah. I think that that's why it has to start with children. It's how you start teaching your children to view people and to treat them with respect. And that's when the change comes, when generations yeah. are born into new. So we're still too close to when it was okay to do these things and get away with it. Not even a lifetime away for it to be completely gone. It'd be insane for anyone to think that. It's not going to be cured that soon. It's going to take some time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think it's... It's 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 sad, I guess, that it's taken this long. And as you say, like it does start with the children. But I feel like at least what I'm seeing on social media is that there there are still uh, clear divides, and that people are kind of still teaching their children all the all the negativity that's within them, and then that's right. just passing passing on, and, and generations are kind of growing and developing. Right. I wanted to I, I wanted to quickly come back to your book. Mm -hmm. Um. So so this this book is obviously based on um. So it's at home with Muhammad Ali is the title of the book. Um, and it's based on the voice recordings that your father left you over 90 hours worth, um, which is which is in its own way very uh, amazing that he kind of had the foresight to 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 put this all down. And like the way, as I said, number one, I can hear his voice throughout, mm -hmm. but the way that he kind of documented every small incident. And it's similar, I guess, to how we use our mobile phones today. We're taking um, mm -hmm. we're taking video clips and pictures and whatever, and he just did that in his own kind of way that was accessible at the time. Um, what was the experience like for you writing this book in contrast to previous books that you've written? Because I believe you've written right. one, you've co-authored one with your father, right? His autobiography. Yeah, this is my fourth book. Um, yeah. yeah. So how was this one different for you? So, like you just said, my dad was ahead of his time. I always said that he was he, he is the world's first reality show. He respected and appreciated the beautiful <laughs> moments in life that he that were just yeah. passing by and he wanted to capture that so writing this book was a lot more challenging because it's a memoir so i i'm telling three stories i had so you know it started off as just being a book that i called conversations with the greatest and i was just going to transcribe the recordings because he's so colorful and entertaining that they could have just just told his own story in a, in a different kind of way for history and then that changed and the publisher said why don't you put you know a little explanation before and after it so then i thought oh good idea so then i introduced the recordings what was going on in the world and it just became the recordings transcribed with um just an introduction of what was going on around them and then that changed and i thought well maybe i should give my sisters a chapter each for all their memories so i collected their memories and then mine were too top heavy you know they didn't grow up or spend as much time with him so it was a little harder to um do it that way so then i just decided somehow to do a memoir and I wrote the book myself so I had to read a lot of how-to books for memoir writing because <laughs> it was so challenging because mainly because I then discovered my love letters that my father wrote to my mother that she never knew about when we were in storage so it kept metamorphosing and growing and it became 
at home with Muhammad Ali, a memoir of love, loss and forgiveness. And I'm telling three stories. So it was a challenge to have to go back and visit the pain of my parents' divorce. I'm telling my mother's story with my father, her side of it, telling my father's story about what he was doing in the time when he, before Parkinson was just coming at the end of his boxing career, his, all the things he was dealing with because, you know, he recorded them. So he wanted them to be shared. He knew, um, you know, how important life was and, and he's a human being and he had just the same stresses that most people do so you get to see that it humanizes him some more i think for his fans and know yeah, what he was going through yeah, what he was I, dealing with i was reading some yesterday mm -hmm. and i like i just got up and i had to like take a deep breath and be like sedium this book is like really emotional oh <laughs> because i feel like you you write it in a way where we're taking that journey with you we're in that storage room with you and you know we're there when your mom when your mom finds those letters yeah and, and then you take us back to the past there's flashbacks I'm back so to the past and then your little hannah and you know and you hear like sending said you hear his voice for for some reason right when I, read it. I can hear his uh, voice in my head thank you so i'm glad was, you say that very thank you very well written thank very, you very nicely written thank you because that was my goal i wanted people my father was so down to earth and so mm -hmm. accessible that i wanted the book to feel that way i wanted it to be authentic i wanted them to feel like they were there with me in the journey and I wanted to share him as much as I could candidly as possible and tell the, and do it creatively enough to keep it interesting, not bore anyone on one topic. And I had to find a way to be able to tell these three stories, my own, my mother and parents as a couple, my parents as a, and my father's individually and do it in a way that just really got the message across, you know? And um, that, so the recordings were such a blessing because then it could bring it to life and in his own words and show, not tell. You know, see, I'm yeah. telling you how wonderful he is, but you get to see it through just the way he was naturally on his own. So it was a big challenge. It was very, very emotional. I, I, I read, like I said, a lot of how to books on how to do a memoir. <laughs> and I learned how, you know, because I wanted to tell I, the stories I did before, the books I did before were just sort of like an essay form, you know. So it wasn't like yeah. cohesively telling a story. And I thought, well, I have to tell it's a memoir. So I have to put my include myself and my perspective and then also take them i wanted to take the reader on the journey that i went through you know so discovering them so i thought well how can i do this in a way where it's able to creatively do it and that's why i decided okay i'll do it how it happened you know i went to the storage i brought this stuff home this is how it happened and i'll go back and i'll use flashbacks and i'll incorporate important things i want to share and that way the people that are looking to find out some things about fights there's a little bit of that in there because it was part of our life it's just the last fights of his life of course they get to get the george mm. foreman stuff just a little bit because that's what my parents met you know so that's what the people want as well right <laughs> yeah they have a little bit of that too but you know it's the title i try to show people what they're going to get in the title you're at home with yeah. muhammad ali no I, I, right I, I think i think uh sorry, sorry to cut you off no, but okay. i feel mm -hmm. like f for myself coming into the book obviously i, I knew it was you writing about at, you know at home with your father but I wasn't quite ready for the the I guess the level of intimacy that that and the exposure that we get to Muhammad Ali because obviously you know I've watched the the Will Smith film I've watched the documentaries I've watched the fights I've watched the interviews um, and that's like the public facing stuff that you see and obviously you get like little clips and you'll see pictures of the family and you'll hear about Layla as well your sister who's a boxer and I, I'm gonna ask you soon actually why uh -huh. you didn't get into boxing but we can come to that in a second uh -huh. um but it, it was it was really um fascinating and i think for a lot of people like myself who have, who have always seen your, your dad as someone inspirational um and and you know just this like this this incredible figure mm -hmm. um to get such a different perspective on him and to kind of humanize him and bring him back down to earth a little bit but in a good way because it just fleshes out and it's like you know 
well, I guess when you see anyone like any of your favorite kind of TV stars or movie mm -hmm. stars or or whatever it is mm -hmm. that people look up to, mm -hmm. like when you when you're able to spend time with that person and you see like the entire picture, it just kind of makes it a lot more real and wholesome. You, does that make sense? Yes, it does because I've read so much. I mean, there's more. There's more. He's the most written about person in the world. I saw something about Oprah. Uh, she, when he was promoting the Ali film on Oprah, she was doing her research and she had said that. And I remember when the introduction, I was going to write that, but I had it written wrong. I said that he, to my publisher at the time, she was like, no, 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 it's a different book. He's not the most written. He, there's more books written about, she named certain uh, presidents. And I had it wrong because he's not. He, there's not more books written about him anyone else, but he's the most written about. So that includes articles and everything else. Person mm -hmm. in history. And there and with all of that i still haven't found any one thing that really encapsulates the true essence of who a person is which is my father's heart his soul and his spirit and yeah. that's why i wanted to write the book that way because so many times in life i hear especially young growing up you don't know how wonderful your dad is and i'm like no i do you don't know how wonderful my dad is. <laughs> you don't know <laughs> i know exactly how like wonderful that. my dad is I get to see him 24-7 at home and out the spotlight in, in the little things that he didn't promote because he believed yeah. that promoting certain things were negative because then you get adulation and, and praise for doing it and that's not truly giving. So he just was such an amazing human being to such a level that just is unheard of. So um, forget about, it's just extra extraordinary because he was a famous, wealthy human being, but just as a human being, the fact that he loved people so much, cared so much about humanity, bringing homeless people home because he felt it was a sin for us to have so many rooms empty. You know, so if you don't mm. let him pass a group of homeless people, he would just pile them up and bring, I'm not kidding, bring them home. <laughs> and I, I, them. I think it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that th despite everything that we look up to in your father, that for you, it's his humanity um, that stands out. And, and and we spoke and you mentioned like his faith and the fact that he would write his signature on, on napkins that had like Islamic literature um, in the hope that someone would kind of revisit that. So I guess t tell me more about his, his faith, because I think we've seen it. And in interviews, you know, he doesn't hold back from talking about God and about death and about yeah. life and everything right. from like a very Muslim perspective. But what what was that like for you growing up? You said that obviously he would, you know, preach to I, you on the border of scaring, right. you know, bordering I, on scaring you. I used to worry about my father someone shooting or hurting him the more I learned. And I knew then in life, <laughs> it's almost like I got a stronger sense of faith through watching him. It's crazy. Watching his face. I knew before I understood the concept of God that there had to be a God just watching my father. I mean, for him to have survived the 60s, to, he, I mean, the people, every, all of our leaders were shot and dead, killed. I mean, Megger yeah. Edwards, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, like just constantly people that we never even know their names of, you know, different leaders of the Black Panther movement were murdered. People were murdered and he would walk the streets everywhere, accessible everywhere in big crowds. So my father used to say that God, Allah, is his bodyguard. And that if some man wants to get him, no other man on this earth can protect him, only God. So that if he's supposed to survive, if he's supposed to make this walk and live, take this march and live, survive anything in life, it's because God, it's his plan for him. So that's what he went on. He didn't want to live in fear. And he didn't, he couldn't live not having people be able to approach him. He needed people like he needed air to breathe. He loved them. And he got, I think they rejuvenated him and gave him strength and energy so he needed to have that contact 
you know, just like you charge a battery. He needed people. Yeah. So my father, you can see that you yeah. can see that love that he has for God and everything he does. He he emulates it. You can see his his love and his his faith and everything that he does. Whereas, like I think, like characters like MLK and Malcolm X, they're they're respected, and for some people, they're feared. But for Muhammad Ali, it was love and it was people loved him. People weren't afraid of him. People respected him as well. But there was a lot of love when when Muhammad Ali came on the screen or when Muhammad Ali was boxing or right, you know, right. anything that involved Muhammad Ali was. And I, I he, think you've, you've probably. So I, I was just going to say quickly before, before you come in, you've probably heard from a million and one people the impact that that your father had on them. And, and I'm going to take this opportunity to do that for myself. But I think like growing up, um, especially kind of post 9-11, um, watching clips of your dad talking about Allah and about God being his bodyguard and no one can stop him. And, he, you know, having that strength of faith um, w w is and was a very uplifting thing. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like it, it's for a young, for a young, I was like 11, I think at the time. But like, you know, in my early teens, growing up in a world where suddenly Muslims are hated and you've got someone who everybody, be they Muslim or non-Muslim, loves this human being just because of his charisma, his boxing, you know, being literally the world's greatest and everything else. Like that for me was was incredible. Having that kind of person and, and that kind of aura there. Right. And my, showing me kind of how, how to live. Right. My father knew that. So that's why he took every opportunity to... Yeah do what he did and on camera so what i was going to say before was even after the george foreman fight they don't use this clip a lot they cut it off but after the george foreman fight and he's telling them don't ever doubt me again or make me the the, the, the underdog until i'm 50 years old he goes on to say i prove that allah is god so he always is was trying to promote and and, and spread his faith <laughs> every chance he got yeah, yeah. so he he um you know my dad my dad knew that the world was watching. He knew that people looked up to him. That's why he used to say to me, I'm the daddy of the world. He saw himself mm -hmm. as a teacher. That's why he was put here. And that's why I say that his humanity is the most important and the greatest lesson for all of humanity, even over his faith. Because sometimes in life, people have to come and they have to find their way through to faith, to come to faith and whatever else. But to be a human being, to treat people with kindness and respect is so difficult for people. You know, all the world wars and problems we have and just not caring about people enough is the problem. Everyone wants to fight for their one cause. You know, God bless this country or that country. And my father would say, no, it's God bless the world. So I think that all people everywhere want to be treated right. They want to be treated with respect. People want to have the right to practice their faith, to love themselves, their, their, you know, to be able to walk the streets peacefully and not be uh, hated because of something a certain person did that belonged to this faith or this race or this belief, creed, whatever, movement. You know, it's not right. And that's why his humanity is the greatest lesson that he could have taught us and the world and all people everywhere. He was such a decent, loving, caring, forgiving human being. He held no grudges, never spoke bad about people unless he's like being playful to promote a fight. You know, he had an amazing faith. And I think that when you come to life with a purpose that strong, he just he came to the earth that way, spiritually. Because on some level, subconsciously, he knew his mission, you know. So I think that um, that's the greatest lesson, you, really, his humanity. So I, I was going to say, you, you, you're kind of talking into the mic a little bit. Have you uh -oh. changed the position? Yeah, I did. Sorry. When the dogs start barking, okay, I put sorry. the phone on. Here we go. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Mm -hmm. um, 
So uh, yeah, go on, we'll jump back in. Okay. Uh, Hannah, so your father is a role model to, to millions and millions of people throughout years and years. Does Muhammad Ali have any role models that you know of? No. <laughs> if he told you he had a role, not a, uh, he had, a, he had someone he looked up to when he was younger, of course, mm-hmm. as a kid. And that was Sugar Ray Robinson as a bot for boxing purposes. He thought yeah. he was classy and well-spoken and that's who he looked up to as a child. But, um, in his adult life, honestly, the only people that my father really looked up to were devout Muslims, um, imams, and he liked, you know, Elijah Muhammad, you know, people he, he felt were very spiritual that he looked to for guidance in some way, religiously, are people he, yeah. he looked up to. I wouldn't say a role model. He was an individual, followed his own heart, beliefs. No one really affected him, yeah. you know? So, um, and if he didn't agree with one bit here or there that someone did or taught, he would just toss that aside and stick to the positive things. And he took the good and, you know, mm. then made his own mind up in everything in life. It was who he was in all aspects and areas. And uh, with regards to uh, how he was viewed, because we, we discussed it previously before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and you mentioned that the, the kind of perception of Muhammad Ali was... Uh, so, so in my lifetime... It's always been this is the world's greatest boxer and you know like one one of the leading individuals in the world basically um but i i remember at the time of 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 your father's passing there was a lot more that was kind of brought up and there are some documentaries as well that talk about the controversies um especially around the the vietnam war and the kind of um, statements that he made around that time um how I guess how, how do you think that impacted him? I, I know you, you as in you weren't born in in 1967 yet. When, no, I wasn't born when, in seventy six. Yeah. So but my you, father, uh, my father, um, yeah, like naturally, like, like how did that all impact him? I guess is my question. My father didn't really, you know, he never talked about that. He didn't, like I said, he didn't complain or talk about things. He wasn't one to hang his head and feel depressed or sad. He knew that everything in life mm-hmm. had times and things would change. And he only received a lot of the love from people. Those are the ones that people were approaching him. And when he did receive the negativity, it did not, it wasn't that often. If he did, when he did, it was primarily in the sixties and, you yeah. know, he kept his head. So you think after, after the 60, after the sixties, everything was kind of smooth sailing in terms of like well, his public no, image smooth, and everything else. It, everything was not smooth sailing. Well, not, just, not smooth sailing. Was, he, I know. <laughs> no, what I mean is that, naturally you had a lot of hateful people in that time so they yeah. didn't like a, he would tell you a loud outspoken black man telling them mm. about themselves bringing light shedding light and being so cocky and proud and black is beautiful and love yourself and that's what he was doing he was trying yeah, to help yeah. black people love themselves when everything that they were taught was that black was negative that's why he got into the devil fruit cake was the chocolate and the angel was the white and you know how they made tarzan in the jungle of africa white and how everything good was associated white and black ball from fraternity black, black cats are bad luck and he would have this whole speeches he would give because he learned a lot of that from the nation of islam and um yeah. would spread that truth but uh to bring a light and awareness to it mainly for black people watching to see a beautiful black man stand up and say we're all beautiful all of our shades and colors are beautiful when you're taught to not love yourself so mm. um he was teaching black love and in morale and helping the morale of black people around the world and he was helping the morale of muslims and people who were on the you know whose religion was not respected and, and mis you know uh, exploited and, and and represented wrongly in the media and movies and films and press you know so 
he he definitely didn't cater to to his time basically because exactly he, he he he's he's prideful of his color and he's prideful of where he comes from and he talks about islam and stuff so he really doesn't care about catering to to the white people who are the people who could at the time bring him down or bring him up basically right he so would say that such a exactly. admirable thing about him right exactly he'd give it all up because he knew that but you have to have an understanding and not make material things your god not make wealth the most important thing in life to be able to do that like he did so courageously mm -hmm. without a second thought you know if you can't be free to worship how you want to to live how you want to to speak up you're not going to be use me he wasn't going to let them use him to lure other black people or other people in general into the army and to fight and kill my father was such a gentle loving person so it's so funny because he was a boxer but he wasn't a fighter he didn't try to hurt people he was a boxer there was an art to what he did he danced in the ring he used the rope of dope he would lean off of people when they were looking like they were hurt you know the only fight you probably would see there he wasn't boxing but fighting was when it was i think ernie terrell and he would not respect him and say his name muhammad ali so i think that um you know my father was just such a true sense of a role model and we had just don't yeah. have them anymore they can't diminish or bring down his legacy in any way he lived do you, his do you think Mm -hmm. So, so I'm, I'm really sorry to cut you off. Okay. I, I do this a lot. I apologize. It's okay. But no, I, I was just thinking. Do, do you think that because of the era that your your father was 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 born into, that he was able to be the individual that he was? What I mean by that is that today we have social media, um, and and social media puts this like microscope on everybody and every statement. And you know, I like I've discussed it previously on on other episodes where sometimes even you're you're not commenting so for example we take black lives matter we discussed earlier if your father did comment he would get heat for what he said if he didn't comment he would also catch the same heat and i, I feel like you know news was kind of slower to spread back in the day compared to now whereas right now there's this kind of very instant nature to things do you think he would have thrived in the same way had he been born into our era today <laughs> well definitely because back then you were, had the risk of getting shot and lynched for speaking the way he spoke big much bigger deal than just losing your social media account <laughs> so mm. you know and not only that he got that famous and got a message that wide with only three major channels no social media that's, yeah that's no so if anything point. he'd be huger now but he was put in the time he was supposed to if, if that for, was even possible to fulfill his purpose <laughs> so there's nothing that would ever stop my father from speaking his mind from spreading whatever truth he felt he needed to spread that's who he was it wouldn't change at any time so god knows yeah. why he put him where he put him and for what reasons it was you know obviously but uh, if anything everything was a bigger risk in back in a time when black folks were getting snipered off for walking down the street you know so mm. you know of course the white america wasn't going to cover that all the time but it was happening all the yeah. time. You know, he's had a bomb go off in his New York apartment, my father. His phones were tapped probably all the way into the late 70s. You know, so mm. um, they were so threatened by people who were nonviolent, which black people weren't violent. They didn't go anywhere and try to, to dominate over any other people of the world like white America was doing. They weren't lynching and killing people. They're just trying to defend themselves, if anything. So I think that um, it was just funny when I would hear that. Like, they would, so much in the press are talking about a black movement, black Muslims. Were like He's like, you guys are separating us from the rest of the world. We're just standing up and trying to teach and clean up black folks in the ghettos and the, res the residual effects of slavery and creating yeah. the, the, the creating all of the um, hatred amongst their black folks on their own just because there's so many different shades of black. You know, you had the house Negroes, as Michael Metz would put it in the field one, and you're lighter, you have a better life. And that creates jealousy and division within a one, one's own race. So all these residual yeah. effects 
that are happening still to this day, obviously in the ghettos and in, in lower communities where you can't let a, you don't let a whole nation of people read for two, 300 years to learn. You know, there's a lot of catching up to do. So there are all residual effects of what they put in place in this racist society. So I think that um, my dad knew that, obviously, and he would say that. Mm. And people don't want to see themselves, the darkness of themselves sometimes, and have to face that stuff And it, because it calls for action. And they don't want change, a lot of them. And the ones that do don't speak up or, you know, they're comfortable. Or they don't, it's not affecting them directly or, you know, they're not married to a black man or woman. They don't have ha mixed children or for whatever reason, they're living their life. They're living it good. And it's not going to help or behoove them to say anything. You have people afraid now to say stuff. I noticed a lot of social, social media networks, a lot of celebrities just don't say anything at all. They don't want to hurt their following, hurt their brand. You know, so my father is so respected by so many is because he stood up to the mighty government and ended up winning mm. and gave it all up. You know, so because it's, it's yeah. interesting because like reading reading some segments from your book, there's there's um, there's uh, audio recordings of him talking about political things. And it, he says, I don't know anything about politics. I don't know anything about what's happening with uh, like such and such. But mm -hmm. he knows that this is wrong and this is right. And, you know, people won't let me go and negotiate for the hostages because they're just afraid. But nobody wants to do what what God likes or what Allah likes. So like it's, there's there's this beauty and like the simplicity of how he approaches things. And like you said, ahead of his time, like he he pushed for his children to have education instead of going into boxing. And and um, like there's parts in it where kind of like he, the women in the household were were respected and were were treated like better than himself, I guess. Mm -hmm. That was his approach. Mm -hmm. And um, just like how simple everything was in his mind, like when it came to politics, he's like, I don't know what's going on, but I know what's right and wrong. And this shouldn't be happening. Exactly. And I don't care if I shouldn't be saying anything about it, but I'm going to I'm going to do something about it, like the hostages and, and Iraq and things like that, like going going out there, putting himself at risk. But he kept it so simple and so, so human that he managed to achieve what he wanted to achieve, basically. And he does that throughout his life. He does these, he achieves these things, but it's in a very simple and very, like, eloquent way. In a very, in a very Muhammad human Ali way. way, I think yeah. I would say. Yeah, his humanity. Like, <laughs> like the, I, I was just about to say, yeah. and, and I do want to kind of wrap up. I, I want to keep talking, but I feel like we, we've held you for long enough. Yeah, um, but but the, the, the story about uh, your father going and f helping to free the hostages in Iraq, um, that I can't remember, like four or five years ago, I came across that story and had never heard it before and thought it was the most incredible thing ever. And and we shared like a, a write up of that on the Muslim by website, and it was one of our first like big viral stories. Mm -hmm. um, like obviously it wasn't that we broke the story or anything, but just sharing it out there. Right. And and we saw like like just thousands and thousands of hits on, on the piece, and and I was mind blown when I first saw the article, like the original. Right. I was like, "There's no way this happened," and right. and like no one, no one knows about it. Yeah. No one knows he about it. He opened the and lines it, for communication. The students wouldn't even, it's unbelievable. they wouldn't even, but they had such a respect for him. So he said, I'll go over and talk to them, give them their voice, <laughs> let them talk, let's get it through peacefully. They he wouldn't, was big in Iraq yeah, too, could, like Muhammad he, Ali Kalai was huge. You know that he actually <laughs> went over and freed hostages and came back with like 12, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was always trying so I'm to gonna, go. So I'm going to put the link in the, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to shout out the website. I'm going to put the link in the description to the article that we have about that story. I completely forgot about it until right. Nora just men mentioned it. Right. But it's just an unbelievable story of, of like what your father was able to achieve whilst also being the world's greatest boxer 
and and a source of inspiration for literally millions of people. Well, he used to always um, say that, like he 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 affected every type of person. Like you had he he would say, "I got all I, I'm so loved and respected." One of his tapes, I could not find it. I was going through the mall. It was hard to listen sometimes. So my father had passed away while I was writing the book, so I took a long break and I stopped listening mm. to recordings. And it was because the book was too long anyway. It was supposed to be half the length it is, but I thought I have to put this in here. I have to include this. This is my contribution to my father's love legacy to, to, to show the world just how wonderful he was, his humanity, to hope inspire, mm -hmm. to share him with his world that loves and admires him. And even long after I'm gone and can't talk anymore and, and, and be able to give these interviews and express these things, people will be able to read this book. So that was my goal. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to get across. I'm so glad and grateful that all of you, all of my pain and hard work and everything I went through to get this thing done, <laughs> that you're saying everything that I was hoping and um, you know, a lot of the times, like I said, I read I read the reviews and good and so many ninety percent of them are all basically what you guys are saying, and that's the most important thing to me is they, I wanted people to to really, really know see his humanity because that was the yeah. greatest his greatest greatest accomplishment. Well, yeah. we appreciate you sharing you. your father with us. It means a lot to all of us. He means a lot to to people like me, and it's it's crazy that you know. You, you grew up with him and things like that. So I can't even imagine the, the Muhammad Ali that maybe behind the book, there is more to him, but let me just tell you, there's more of the, the pages. Same. It's all more of the same <laughs> stories. It would be redundant. So my, my, the one thing I do want to say um, is that my father loved his religion so much. He loved Muslims. He used to, he, he loved all people, but oh my God, if a Muslim was coming to visit him, and it, you would act, you would think he was it, he would act like you would think the person should come and meet Muhammad That's Ali. So sweet. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, especially wow. when they were very um, wearing hijab and just clean living and praying all the time, he really loved his religion and people that and, and oh my God, like I, I I can't even express it enough. And that's one of the reasons wow. why I wanted to share. That makes some me way. so emotional. <laughs> and he wanted, he, oh my God, we, when we were kids, we used to hide when he would come back from Iran or Saudi Arabia. I guess he would come back so strict, but he was just love. He <laughs> loved being around Muslims. He was at, he would just sit down and cross his legs and, and cross his all hands and look like a kid, you know, that was in the presence of a queen or a queen. I'm not kidding. Uh, king. I'm not kidding you. He just had such mm. a respect for yeah. a faith that he thought was so beautiful and so peaceful. And it broke his heart that it was so misrepresented and I, I've, I've seen some i've seen some beautiful clips of him meeting uh sheikhs i can't remember where or when this was but it's it's amazing to see you, your father humbled in that way oh God, like yeah. you know you, you you would assume that he would be the the like the, the, the magnetic ball in the room but there was a there was a sheikh sat there and he was giving so much respect towards the sheikh and like people were like but you know you're muhammad ali why, why are you not and then he's just literally like you know you're my sheikh basically <laughs> you speak i'm just gonna sit here and be quiet right um, <laughs> but, but it, it, it showed right that that kind of reverence that he had for the faith um it showed in, in everything that you're saying as well and obviously all the interviews that everyone's seen and and i think it's it's like it's such an integral part of his story just the fact that like he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali um, and, and kind of everything that came with it with Malcolm X, Elijah Muhammad, the whole history, the nation of Islam, mainstream Islam. Like it's, I, I think he's, I guess, a, a nice way for me to, to kind of tie this up is just to say that, you know, your father played and continues to play like an integral role in, in the history of black America, I think. And it's, mm -hmm. that's by no means a stretch of the imagination mm -hmm. at all um and 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 as you say as you said earlier 
the fact that he was able to be you know a good looking handsome man on tv talking about the beauty of black people and black skin and empowering minorities i guess across the board um is is just such a testament to the fact that he didn't uh, waste the any opportunity um or his talent in any way whatsoever you know he could have just been the greatest boxer who who didn't speak you know he didn't have to do all these interviews he didn't mm-hmm. have to kind of talk as much as he did and and the boxing can talk for itself mm-hmm. but he he as you say like he knew he was here for a greater purpose he and he wanted to, to fulfill that he and he had a lot to say i don't think you could stop him and not only that but he also <laughs> said i mean there's there's a lot of work to do from he he was born black and there was too much hell they were catching all over the yeah. world so he and then he is a muslim and they were catching hell you know so he had a huge plate you know he's trying to help he's non-popular race and a non-popular religion and he's trying to uplift the race and spread the truth (laughs) about the religion so he had an enormous job that he felt it was enormous responsibility and um and he did it i think so incredibly well as well Uh, yeah so i think that yeah like i said the fact that he could do it and and he was such a human just a a decent human being which is what Mm. this, this islam teaches you know, he 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 just to love people, to be peace, to give to charity, to be kind to all. You know, he respected all. One of his, as much as he loved his faith and believed a thousand percent in his faith, one of his favorite quotes that he always would write in inscriptions and talk about was this. It said, he said, the li- rivers, lakes, and streams all have different names, but they all contain water. So do religions have different names, but they all contain truth expressed in different ways, forms, and times. And his mo- his parents were Christian, you know. And my mom was Catholic, mm. you know. So he respected all religions. He he, even though his religion was his choice, and even though he's tried yeah. to spread the truth of that. And uh, my dad loved debate. He loved to sit in a room and debate about religion. With his oh, that, that definitely comes across. Oh, that my God. You have across. no <laughs> idea. There's some funny recordings. And he would say, what? How are you going to tell me Jesus is the son of God? You trying to tell me that God takes a shit? God has to go poop? <laughs> you can't bring God down to a human level. Do you, do you plan on releasing any of these recordings? Like I know you've released the 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 prayer one, but do you plan on releasing any more of these recordings? Um, no, the only recordings, I, I license the recordings out to film and um i only i released that because it was for the muslim community the islamic community and Mm. that's what my dad would have wanted so i found a way to do that i uploaded to distro kid distro kid and so yeah um yeah that's what i want to do my father would want that so that's the one that i released in that way everything else has been there there are audios at the end of the audio book version of at home with muhammad ali I included the audio of my father and I talking when I'm about four, four years old, singing together, and also my favorite recording where he's talking for about three or four minutes about why he made these tapes. And he's talking directly to me at three years old, or not really, I'm laying down beside him, but he's talking to my future self. And he's saying, well, I, got the, I got the audio, so, so I'm excited to hear that. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> let me just tell you right now, I, the reason I didn't read for the audiobook was because I'm not a professional in that way and this book is so long it's 400 plus pages and i wanted to, and there's so much acting involved i wanted a professional to do it so that mm-hmm. it was easy to listen to you know mm-hmm. so i chose this woman who had a pleasant voice her name is kim stoughton she's uh, you know affiliated in the islamic world as well and she's just a beautiful i heard a, i heard her reading for a book called kindred that my father and i were listening to a long time ago about a sci-fi kind of thing we were going on some we were driving somewhere from arizona to la and 
It was about a black woman married to a white man who somehow gets ported back into antebellum South slavery times and some strangeness. And she was going back and forth from the past to the, it's really interesting. And she had a beautiful reading voice. So Kim Stoughton reads mm. for it and she does an amazing job. You'd be surprised how well she does to be a female acting yeah, like Muhammad she, Ali. She does his voice. Right. She like makes her voice deeper. Right. She does his parts. But yeah, let me give you one, nice. let me give you one piece of advice. If you're listening to the audio, uh, we never had a chance mm -hmm. to re-record it. She reads a little slow, so if you want to hear it read on like a nicer speed, you just have to push it to 1.25 as far as the oh, speed. Nice. And that puts <laughs> it at a tip. perfect speed, so it doesn't feel too slow. So it's, it's going to be great. We, people do that with this podcast sometimes. <laughs> yeah, one. Uh, I, I think I took a bit slow. But if you actually do it, just that one, that one, that first notch up, I think it's 1.25. I will. It actually reads perfectly. Like it's like it sounds perfect. You know, so <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah, but I'll at the that. very end, I read the epilogue and um, it's very short, just so I have my voice in there somewhere. I read the epilogue <laughs> and then the end is like I said, five minutes of audio recording. So they got them that way. Nice. And there's also a film at home, uh, not at that's <laughs> my book. Um, I am Ali. Universal Pictures did a documentary called I Am Ali in 2014, and 12 minutes of recording is spread throughout that hour and a half long film. It seems like a lot nice. more, but you'll also hear the recordings in there too, different recordings. That's, That's awesome, awesome, Hannah. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for, thank you. for, 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 for sharing this all with us. No, it, it's been amazing. As I said, like this is, for me, I, I, I would have loved to have obviously met your father and just shook his hand at one point in my life, but obviously that, that wasn't able to happen. Right. But this is the next best thing for me, being able to talk to you. It's been Thank amazing you. just kind of, um, I guess, reminiscing on, on on everything. And even for like, it's reminiscing for me as well, like it is for everyone, I think, because we've all been on that journey with your father, with all the Joe Fraser fights and the, you know, the Thriller in Manila and, and, and kind of everything. I I feel like that's a part of all of our history, even though it's not. But I do feel like I'm I'm, I'm attached to that in some way. Thank um, you, we are. Well, I know this has been great. You know, and if you, have, if you want to have questions, <laughs> from your audience like yeah. emailed to you we can do another one where i'm just answering their questions i don't mind that i, I we might have to hold you to that, that yeah, no problem at all just you know just they can <laughs> send in your questions and i'll be happy to come back and do another hour of answering those questions that'll be awesome maybe we can okay. do it like an instagram live or something yeah, yeah. that's fine who knows all right okay. awesome well cool. thank you very thank much, you guys Hannah. both of you i appreciate it it was an honor hannah thank you thank so you much. so much thank you i appreciate it so Nora, that was our conversation with Hannah. Um, your initial thoughts? It was amazing. <laughs> Is that amazing it? experience. She's so wonderful as well. Like she's so easy to talk to. She she does such a nice job. Um, you know, talking about her. You can see the admiration that she has for her mm. father, basically, and it's nice that it comes through and everything. I, that I she can't does. remember if it was after we, we we finished recording. It might have been when she was just saying that, like her dad gave so much to everybody and, mm -hmm. and that she felt it was her duty to kind of continue in sharing him and, and keeping sort of everything about him alive. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really nice. And as you say, like she does such a wonderful job. I went home. So, so we're recording this outro like the next day after the interview. And I remember I, I went home and I was telling my family about like the little stories that she mentioned, like the Christmas yeah. story and how he would write this, his, his autograph on pages that had like you know that were basically yeah um and, and it's just such nice little character quirks and things yeah like it, it, it was yeah it, it was a very um, and no one knows that and you you can't find that stuff online but um she she's the one who brings that to light she mm. brings that about him to light which is yeah. 
really and she's written various books. I think, uh, like you know, as I mentioned on the podcast, like she's co-written an autobiography with her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, she she's most definitely one of the leading experts in, in, in the world when it comes to talking about Muhammad Ali. Yeah, she really is. And even um, you didn't ask her, but you didn't ask if why she didn't become a boxer. But she oh, yeah, does. I, said I was going to, and I didn't. She does go through it in the book. Like she could throw a punch when she was younger, but it turned out her sister was much quieter, and she ended up being a boxer. Mm. And her dad was a bit reluctant, but in the end, he supported her. And um, because she was so devout to spreading her dad's, you know, image and message, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that's what she does. Well, thank you for answering her behalf. <laughs> no, um, this book is so good, you guys. You have to read it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's that's everything for, for another... Um, it was lovely. Thank you for having me. It was thank fun. You. Are you going to come back? Or is it just when we get like the big, big names? Yeah, only big names. I was holding out on doing a podcast for a long time <laughs> until this happened. You, you, you were lucky though, because when I mentioned that we weren't going to be doing video, you were like, oh, perfect. I'm in. <laughs> Even better. Um, but yeah, no. I, I mean, you're obviously in the office, so feel free to jump on whenever. Okay. Get us some big guests. I'm on. This is the problem. Everyone just wants big guests. And then, I, anyways, um, for, for all my guests that come on the podcast, thank you guys all. I, I, I love and respect all of you equally, which is why I'm a part of the conversations. But, you know, other team members are a bit more rude and a bit more picky when it comes to <laughs> who they want to speak to. Um, but no, uh, that is a, a wrap, I guess, for this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And also, if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, please do give us a five-star rating. Um, and that is that is it. That's it. Thank you, guys. Take care. Stay safe.